Hi, and welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. I'm really excited about my guest today, author and speaker Ashley Abercrombie. Ashley is the author of the brand new book, Rise of the Truth Teller, Own Your Story, Tell It Like It Is, and Live with Holy Gumption. In addition to her work as author and speaker, Ashley also co-pastors a church in New York City with her husband, Cody. In this episode, Ashley talks about fulfilling a 20-year dream to become a full-time writer, how she managed to write a book with a toddler and a newborn baby, and how owning your story and living authentically can be a powerful force for transformation. You can access the show notes for today's episode at donsadler.com slash 036. You'll hear more about Ashley's story in just a bit, but first I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Avada Coaching. We offer productivity tools, training, and coaching to help you overcome fear, doubt, and procrastination so you can accomplish your most important goals. Go to avidacoaching.com to learn more and to download your free daily planner, The Peak Page. Also, has the Your Purpose is Calling podcast been helpful in your own business, career, or ministry? I would love to hear your story. Your stories and your support help us reach more people just like you who are passionate about living out their own unique God-given calling. You can leave us a review on iTunes, which we love, and I'm so grateful for everybody who's done that. Or you can share your story with me directly. Just send me an email at hello at donsadler.com. I'd love to hear from you. But for now, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Ashley Abercrombie. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. It's so great to be with you, Don. I'm so excited. So this is an exciting moment because you are the first ever return guest to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, but there has been so, there have been so many exciting things that have happened in your life since you were last with us that I am so excited to have you back and talk about all the things. Um, But in case somebody missed that episode or they don't already know you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I live in Manhattan and with my husband and our two boys, they are two and almost five. So all that means to anyone listening is that we are very tired. (laughs) 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 And I'm a full-time writer, which is new for me. It's been a lifelong dream to be a full-time writer. And so last October I went full-time with writing and speaking. Um, And I have my first book coming out this October. So it's a huge lifelong dream coming true. That's amazing. Um, So I always like to talk a little bit at the beginning about how uh, I got connected to our guest. And a lot of people listening, especially if they heard the first one, will already know this. But you and your husband, Cody, are my pastors. You're my community pastors in downtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so excited to talk about your book. Um, Tell us the name of the book. So the name of the book is called The Rise of the Truth Teller. So it's own your story, tell it like it is, and live with holy gumption, (laughs) which I'm sure you appreciate, Don, because I feel like that is one of your gifts is to 
draw out people's holy passion, the thing that they were literally created and born to do, and then help them envision a way to do it. It's one of the things I love about you. Well, thank you so much for that. I feel like I love this. Um, I love this book and I love this title because knowing you, this is how you live your life. And we're going to get into, you know, your story and the behind the, you know, sort of behind the scenes of how this story came to be. Um, but one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on the show is that I know that this is, I mean, just saying the words, I am a full-time writer. I mean, has that even sunk in yet? Or is that still a little surreal every time you say it? It is 100% still surreal. And (laughs) it's crazy. Like I often have to remind myself, hey, you actually have a work day to write. You don't have to do this at midnight or on a lunch break or, you know, early in the morning. I'm like, oh, I actually have space in my life to write during normal work hours. And that is a brand new experience after 20 years of writing whenever I could get it in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that because I think um, it's so nice to have that time to write, but then it's a whole different perspective, right? Like finding your rhythm as a writer and especially with two young kids and you um, also co-pastor a church. So, um, so things are really busy. Mm -hmm. When did you first know that you wanted to be a writer? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, when I was little, I just had this uh, desire to write. It was one of my escapes. It was one of the things in my life that I just couldn't not do. And I think we each have that thing in our life where like, if I I would just die, if I didn't do this thing and it helped me express and it helped me release emotion. And it kind of allowed me to put words to the things that were going on inside of me, to dreams, to desires, to struggles, to fears, to shame. Writing helped me sort of unpack my heart, my mind, what was going on with me. And so I started as a little girl. I remember in the fourth grade, I wrote a story about helping children cope with divorce. It's just a little short story and they turn it into like a mini book and I won an award in my home state of North Carolina when I was a little girl. So I think that each of us have these sort of inklings of calling from a very young age all the way up until we're adults and we can kind of track back and look at the through lines of our life and writing has been one of them. And then in my early 20s began to freelance. So I started writing for magazines. I started writing for a few digital outlets, you know, later in my 20s um, and really loved that. And then I got into the world of ghostwriting. I started, uh, I've ghostwritten on 10 different books for authors. And so that was something that I really enjoyed as well, helping other authors authors get their voices out. And it was always just a deep abiding passion. And those were always my side hustles. So I'm sure there are people out there listening right now who are like, listen, I am not in my dream job. I'm in my day job trying to get to my dream job. (laughs) I'm seriously here to encourage you that it's totally possible. The wait will be worth it, you know, because that inkling of calling in your life is so worth chasing. Don't give up. Yeah. I feel like that is, um, I just always thought since I was very young, I remember at 23, I had a, a, a mom who was an artist and a brother who's an artist. Mm. Uh, and I remember thinking, wouldn't it be great if people could just do what they were good at for mm. a living mm-hmm. and not have to make compromises? I don't think that everybody who has a calling has to do it full time or necessarily even Mm -hmm. feels like they need to do it full time. But for those of us who feel like, look, like you said, I will die if I don't do this. (laughs) Um, 
that I think that we have an era now just in general where it's so much easier for people just to take that leap of faith Mm -hmm. and step forward and say, listen, this is how God has designed me. Mm -hmm. And I want to use the gifts that he's given me to serve people in every area of my life, including work. I don't want this to be something in the margins of my life. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that was just, that was always the goal for you as well, right? To do this full time. It absolutely was. And when we transitioned to New York City from Los Angeles three years ago, I wasn't really sure how that was going to be possible, but I knew it felt like it was time to try to write a book. I'm like, I think now is the time. And actually, I joined your coaching group, Dawn, um, and did you know, almost a year in that coaching group. And it was the online group that Dawn hosts. And in that group, we got so honest about what our real desires are and what our real dream is. And then created actionable opportunities for us to actually be able to fulfill that dream. So writing a proposal and looking for an agent and meeting with people and getting the word out and doing all the things that I did in that group while I was in that group is actually when I got my book deal, I finished my proposal, got my book deal, got an agent all in that time frame. And so I think, you know, as I had never really considered investing time and energy and resources into myself before. It's not something that comes very naturally to me. I'm much more of a like, go figure it out yourself kind of girl. Google it. I'm sure there's a way to figure it out. You know, <laughs> I'm sure there's some something I could take. And so it was the first time I'd actually spent time in a mentorship group, in a coaching group. And man, did I benefit. And so I think that it's really important for us each to consider making investments into ourselves and into our gifts, whether it's taking classes or joining a coaching group and really getting honest and getting serious about what we want to see in our life. And I, one of my fears, like a debilitating fear that I have struggled with in my life is that it's not okay for me to, to build a life I love. And Mm. it's one of those things that just kind of always sat very real in me. Like I've always served other people's visions and helped other people's dreams come true and helped other people write books and helped other people kind of step into their place. And I've loved it. I wouldn't change anything about that journey. I really enjoy serving. I think it does something to each of us when we choose to serve. It keeps us humble. It keeps us connected. It reminds us that the whole world doesn't revolve around us. And so it took a great deal of courage for me to go, you know what? now's the time. And it's okay for me to build a life I love. It's okay for me to pursue this. It's okay for me to try, you know, and if I fail, oh, well, at least I'll know. And so for me, it was a big leap of faith, but your coaching group was huge for me in making that decision. I want to talk about that. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you are one of my star students that I brag about all the time. <laughs> so if anyone, if anyone's like, this sounds familiar, it's Ashley, because, um, you, you know, there's so many of, you know, all of us have walked through seasons where we feel like if only I had more time, if only I had more space, if only I had more resources, I know that I would be able to be obedient. And this really is about obedience. It's about courage and it's about living the life that you want, but it's also about obedience. Um, when God is giving us something to do and, and, and so a lot of us can get caught up in that trap of the, if only, But you wrote this book, the proposal, the whole thing at probably the one time of your life that was the least convenient to do Mm -hmm. so. That is accurate and correct. I mean, I had a brand new baby, a toddler. We were pastoring a church in a brand new city. We barely had any friends. I mean, it was not not all-star timing. It really wasn't. And I love in Ecclesiastes, the Bible says that if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. And I'm like, how true is that? Like the conditions were not perfect, but it was the right time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, 
I think the other thing too, that you said about, you know, it's okay for me to build a life that I love. Mm -hmm. Do you, did you ever have guilt about that? Did that statement ever create in you like, oh my gosh, who am I to think that it could all really happen for me? 100%. I, gosh, early in my faith, I struggled with guilt big time. Um, but guilt around different things like people pleasing and make, and not wanting to disappoint others and doing things because I thought I was supposed to, or needed to, or somebody wanted me to. And so I took a whole year in my Bible study and just studied love, the word love. And I, and I talked to God about not doing anything I felt guilty about doing, that I would say no to everything I was doing out of guilt. And I spent an entire year doing that. And sometimes I missed the mark and maybe um, should have done more than I did do. But I was so thankful for that time because I learned not to walk in guilt. But then it resurfaced, you know, as issues and as our struggles do at this season of my life when I was like, I really want to build a life I love. But is that okay? Is it okay for me to have a schedule that I have more ownership over? Is it okay for me to do something that would give me more flexibility to pick up our kids from school or to, um, you know, be available for my family or to travel more or to potentially take more speaking engagements. Like what would that life look like for me? And I definitely feel like guilt was a big barrier. Um, but I didn't stop feeling guilty. I think your point about obedience is really powerful because so often I'm doing things, even though I'm feeling the feels, you know, even though I might feel afraid or might feel guilt or I might feel, you know, scared, whatever it might be. I still have to take the step forward anyway, because I've made my goals actionable and I need to just do the steps. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to boil it down to this is what needs to be done rather than how we're feeling about all the things. Um, and I'm not saying that's easy. Believe me, if you're out there thinking, well, good for you. <laughs> good for you. You just did that. Good, you know, good for you, right? <laughs> you know I, I've been where you are and I'm telling you, sometimes you really do just have to tell your people, the closest ones that you love, like, Hey, I'm really struggling, but this is what I've committed to. We pray for me and walk with me as I make the decision to just do this afraid or just do this, even though I feel guilty or just do this because I know God's asking me to, that can be a really, really powerful series of decisions in our lives. One of the things that I think is remarkable about you is that you come across um, as a very confident writer from the proposal to the book. It, it, there's just no drama around it for mm -hmm. you. Um, I remember you said to me, yeah, I've got to write a book. You know, I've got a deadline from the publisher in six weeks or something. And I just remember <laughs> you saying to me, this does not scare me. And so, and I thought, well, goody for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that terrifies me just that you have to do that. Um, but I wonder in the 10, in the, in all the years that you were ghostwriting and all mm -hmm. the years that you were behind the scenes, were you confident then, or did you, did you, do you think that there was any issue of worthiness of whether or not you could do it for yourself? Um, or was it just opportunity? Talk to me about what was going on in, in that season. Did you become a confident writer because, um, because you ghost uh, wrote books for other people. Talk to me about that process. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. I think a lot of my confidence actually comes from the fact that I have been doing it for so long. I mean, anything you feel seasoned in, I think gives you sort of a leg up in confidence. It's like, no, I actually know that I know that I know that my content is good. I know that I can write well. And I think part of that comes from spending time training. I mean, I took 
night classes at UCLA when I lived in Los Angeles. I took fiction writing. I took creative writing. I took, you know, nonfiction writing. I've been training myself in writing and challenging myself through book clubs or challenging myself through a writing group. And sometimes if I didn't have a writing group anywhere, I would lead one myself. (laughs) We'd go through Bird by Birds, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, just take a bunch of writers through a group because there was nothing I had access to. So I wanted to create an opportunity for me and other writers to grow in our craft. And I do it just for the sake of doing it. I think that's the benefit for a dream taking so long is that you really do. I really realized, man, I just love to do it. Even if nobody ever reads it, I'm going to do this because I love it. It's my passion. It's something I was built for and made for. So I think that's where some of the confidence comes. Now, where I lack confidence um, outside of my actual content and the writing is I lack confidence in the other stuff that is required to be a writer, you know, whether it's platform building or making sure, you know, I'm blogging consistently or making sure, you know, I'm doing all the things on the gram and on the Twitter and on the Facebook, you know, it's, it's that stuff or just sort of putting myself out there or talking about the book that I'm writing. That's where I actually really lack confidence. And I'm having to practice what I just preached about a minute ago, which is I'm doing it afraid, (laughs) even though I might be afraid to talk about myself or not feel as confident in the fact that I want people to know about the book or to buy the book, then I'm, I'm doing it afraid and just challenging myself. But the confidence in my actual writing, I think stems from the fact that I have worked so hard to master it. What would you say to somebody who has a dream? And we talked a little bit before we hit record button that, you know, it may, it doesn't have to be writing a book. Some yeah. people listening to this want to write a book, but some people want to do something else that they feel called to. Um, but what do you say to somebody who says, gosh, that seems like a long time. I really <laughs> want my dream to happen right now today. Um, I don't want to wait that long. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody who's feeling that right now, which is real and valid mm-hmm. and completely okay to feel that way? Yes, it is. Well, I would say to you, maybe it won't take that long. I mean, 20 years was my journey, but it might not be yours. I mean, you never know what's just around the the corner of your life. And I think that waiting is so good. So keep building in whatever it is that you're called to do, whether it's starting a business or building a business or hiring more employees or, you know, seeking to mentor others or starting a nonprofit or writing a book or starting a podcast, whatever the thing is for you that you feel called to do, take a step toward that thing. And it's a series of small steps that actually enables us to achieve our goals. And so just breaking it down to something really small. So it does not feel overwhelming. And then I think you are responsible for your level of passion and you personally are responsible for what you decide to put out in the world. And so I think we can't just say, Oh, it's not the right time or I'm too busy or I'm too this or too that. And I've done all of those things. So hear me when I tell you, this is not a judgment. Like I feel you on every level, but at the same time, I think we each are responsible for our decisions and we're responsible for the small steps that we take. And in that, I would say, honor the small steps that you take, make sure that you go, man, I took a small step this week or this month or this year towards doing the thing that I feel called to do, because that's important to celebrate what you do, celebrate the fact that you did something that you took a step and be proud of yourself. Instead of thinking about all the things that you're not doing, think about the things that you are doing so that it will give you hope and inspire you to move forward. And I think the last thing I would say is just, um, you know, in the Bible in Romans, it talks about, you know, um, that, perseverance produces character and then character produces hope. And so what's so powerful about that is that perseverance, doing the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again and again forms character. And when we have character, we get wins, right? Because you're doing it. You're saying, yes, today I did it. Yes, I did it again. Yes, I did it again. And in the fact that we're doing it again and again, we find hope. And so it's when we sort of let those long stretches of not doing or feeling bad about ourselves or or whatever it might be, 
that's the stretches where we feel like our dream might be hopeless or that it's never going to happen. But if we encourage ourselves to take small steps, it's persevering. And then that produces character. And then our character will give us hope. And that's a really powerful thing when you're pursuing a dream. If you don't have hope, what do you have? We need hope to keep going. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think there's so much wisdom. And I've really been thinking a lot lately about the fact that sometimes we get so focused on whatever the end goal is. So let's, let's just say publishing a book is it, it may be any number of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we say, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? But we're ignoring the small obediences and the small gifts that God wants to give us right now, because we're so focused on this mountaintop moment. But if we just got the thing without the process mm-hmm. of God transforming me, uh, reform, uh, transforming us, of building our confidence, of showing his faithfulness and his love and his power to us again and again and again, um, then it just ends up empty. I think that, I mean, nobody wants to hear this, right? We all want the mountaintop moments, <laughs> totally. but the process... The process is the gift. It's not the yes. it's not the Yahoo moment at the end. It's really the process of God showing up for us again and again and again. And there's just so much power in the simple prayer of God. What is the next right step? Mm-hmm. Um, and just continuing to follow that, which which I know that you've I know that you've done. Um, let's jump into the book. I think one of the things that we all love so much about you and that is so I've seen you speak before and I have said this about you before that when you speak the deepest parts of people's hearts where things are locked away tight, bust open, you bring so much power and so much, um, uh, there's so much freedom that 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 Jesus brings through you when you speak and when you talk because you truly do accept people as they are. That's how you run the church with Cody is come as you are, no judgments. We're just here to love on you. And you really do live that out. A lot of people say that, but you really do live that okay. out. And I know that a lot of that comes from you've been through some stuff in your own life, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about your story. Yes, I'd love to. So my background is actually one filled with addiction to um, abuse of alcohol and drugs, eating disorders. I've gone through so many dysfunctional relationships. I suffered through a sexual assault when I was in college. Um, You know, I've just gone through so much and it took me so long to just be honest about my struggles. I don't know what it is about this world that we're living in today. Maybe some of that is my Southern upbringing as well, but there's kind of like this culture code where we go into every room that we're in and we try so hard to read the room and figure out who we need to be in the room so that we'll feel loved or approved or accepted or significant or powerful or important. And because we're reading the room all the time, we never take a moment to just be like, wait a minute, I can just be myself. Like, can you imagine a world where people were just themselves everywhere they went? I mean, some people we would be like, please don't be yourself. It's not good. (laughs) But I think for the most part, if we were more honest about our past, honest about our struggles and honest about our issues, we wouldn't have this sort of ideal of perfection in our world. And, you know, in the Christian faith too, I think we very often have an idea that once we become Christians, that there will be this sort of mountaintop experience and then a plateau, like all of our issues, problems, and pain suddenly disappear and there's no more loss and there's no more hardship and there's no, you know, and it's just not true. Like that's some other kind of faith. And we all know what it means to struggle. And I think process is really important to that as, as we've already talked about, but just owning your story and being real about who you are, there's a vulnerability and an authenticity to that, that I think many people are very attracted to because it's so 
rare. And I just got to the point, Don, where I was just too exhausted. I'm like, I am too tired to wear this mask. And it annoys me to have to always be pretending and performing, you know, like a circus monkey. Like I cannot do this anymore. And I think for me, it it really came down to that. It's just, I got too tired. And I thought, God, if there's another way, can you show me? Because I'm willing, I have tried everything. So I'm willing to try a different way. And I found the path of Christ to be one that's honest and one full of integrity and not perfection, but wholeness in the midst of our brokenness. And so for me, that's a powerful theme in my book is this idea of story and that struggle unites us and helps us go, oh, you're struggling in your business? Me too. Oh, you're going through some difficult financial things in an urban city? Yeah, me too. I think that we can relate to one another and cheer each other on when we're speaking truth and knowing truth. It's, it's really powerful. And I feel like that's a really important part of Christian life, right? We can't get free. We can't see that somebody else has has walked through freedom in some area. I feel like that authenticity, that that brokenness that Jesus has healed is really one of our greatest connection points to other people and our greatest testimony, right? Yes, it absolutely is. It draws people close to us and then they see Christ as they look at our honesty and authenticity, because it's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me why this book was, did you just always know that this was going to be the topic for this book or tell me just how this particular topic became a book and when you knew that was going to happen? Yes. Well, as I said, a lot of my writing training is in creative writing. And so I actually thought my first book would be a novel. So it was a real curveball and a surprise to me that my first book is a nonfiction book. <laughs> it was a surprise. And then I, I wrote the first uh, proposal with like five God awful titles. I mean, they were just so bad. I mean, they were awful and they weren't true to the nature of the book. Um, and I think I kept niching myself into little pockets of, um, you know, of, of groups. And then I realized I wanted to write a little bit more broadly. And, um, my agent actually helped me realize that my book is more about truth than it is about the other themes I was describing. And I was like, yes, that resonates so deeply with me. I I want to be a woman of integrity. I want people to rise up in truth. I want us to be the kind of people, whatever our job is, whatever our life looks like, who can stand up and say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. And I think that it's required today that we're the type of people who are not just speaking truth, but living it. And so that's a really good thing. And I realized that's when I wanted to write the book. And I was, um, I think probably in the shower, I remember being by myself and that's really the only time I'm alone. (laughs) So I think I was in the shower and it just clicked in my head, like, Oh, rise of the truth teller. And my blog um, is called old fashioned truth telling. And it's been that for years. And suddenly it just clicked like, Oh, this all goes together. This is the perfect time. This is the perfect title. Um, And luckily when I did get a publishing deal, they kept my title. Thank goodness. Cause I really loved it. Um, And yeah, so rise of the truth teller. And I think our world just needs it. We're living in an unprecedented time. You know, we haven't had digital media like this. I can can still remember having a pager, you know, like it's, it wasn't that long ago (laughs) (laughs) that we all had phones on our walls. So I think that we're living in this beautiful digital age and it's messy and sometimes polarizing. And so we need truth tellers and bridge builders and healers and freedom fighters and people who really will rise and take their place in the world. And so tell me when you think about the reader, um, and, and, 
and I know rising up, telling the truth, taking their place in the world, being authentic. But as you think about the reader, as you thought about the reader, as you were writing, what is the specific thing that you want them to get out of this book when they close the, close the back cover and have finished it? What do you, what do you want them to know as a result of reading this book and do? Mm, I think if I could give you one takeaway from this book, it would be that you are not alone. And I think that is such a powerful, life-giving truth. And when you understand that you are not alone if you have marriage struggles, and you are not alone if you are struggling in your business, and you are not alone if you have a habit that you haven't told anyone about, you're not alone in that. There are other people who are dealing with the same thing. And when you break that shame of feeling isolated, when you break that shame of feeling lonely, when you break that shame of feeling like you don't belong anywhere in the world, there's something powerful that happens. You feel connected. And when you feel connected, you can grow. And when you feel connected, that you can change. And when you feel connected, anything is possible. And so I think that you are not alone is a real through line and theme in my book. And I hope that people take that away and recognize that for their life. And you know, you can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. So how many yeah. people are around you really is irrelevant. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a mindset. It's a way that sometimes we do life because we feel fear or we feel shame or we feel nervous or we feel anxious, whatever it might be. So you're not alone. What would you say to the person who says, you know what, I really, I would love to connect with somebody. I would love to share this, this burden that I have, the secret that I have, the shame that I have with somebody, but I'm worried I will lose my job. I'm worried I will lose my marriage. I'm worried that I'll lose my friends. Uh, you know, just, just the fear, the very real fear that there's something to lose if people share what's really going on. What would you say to them? Mm, I would say to you, and this is something I write in my book as well. Great gain means great loss. And so in mm. order to gain freedom, there will always be a loss. And sometimes that loss is your reputation. Sometimes it might mean a relationship. Sometimes it might mean a job, but what, like who can put a price on freedom? And so if you don't want to live bound up in silence and you don't want to live with the secret that is making you sick, then you do actually have to tell somebody. And I think there is um, a trust that we can have for the safe places in our life where we're able to share and be received, where people may be able to suspend judgment, where they might be a safe space for you to share what's really going on. And I think if you're in a place right now where you don't have that, you know, I highly recommend counseling and therapy and support groups. And, you know, there's so many opportunities for us to be able to engage in safe spaces. But I really do think it's important to remember great gain always means great loss. And it's okay. Gain and loss can exist together. That's the human experience. And when you walk through this process, when you walk through this process of taking off the mask, of learning to be authentic, of learning to own your story, what were some of the things that happened in your own life? I think that I grew in friendship. And mm -hmm. as simple as that sounds, it was so life-giving and so powerful because I felt connected and I felt strengthened and I felt empowered by the people who were in my life instead of feeling like, man, I'm in this thing by myself or feeling very isolated or, you know, working 90 hours a week. So I didn't have to deal with the fact that I was alone. Um, you know, I, I started to deal with stuff and open up and then relationships took a higher priority in my life instead of my own image or my significance or the thing I was building, you know, relationships really took priority and things started getting healthier. And what I realized as well is that my negative coping mechanisms, I really needed less of them <laughs> because I had healthier ones in my relationships. And the other thing too, is I, you know, it never stops. It's not like, 
you know, I got to this place where suddenly I didn't still need to take the mask off. You know, I still need to do that. Like I still today have to have people that I come to and say, this is me unfiltered. And I really need to talk about this. And I feel scared to share it with you because, but I do it anyway. And I think um, you never grow out of truth telling and you never grow out of taking the mask off. It's, we're all very, very tempted to hide or to pretend or to, you know, cover. And so it's really important that we keep doing it, that it's not a one-time thing we talk about. We did way back when, but it's like, Hey, just this week, I had to get honest with myself about where I'm really at. <laughs> and that's the thing that keeps us healthy. And that's the thing that keeps our life growing generously is being honest. Tell me about the impact that this way of living has had on your marriage and, and, and being a mom. Mm. Well, my husband and I have always said that a great marriage is made up of two forgivers and two servants. So people who are willing to forgive and people who are willing to serve. And sometimes that means a death to self, <laughs> most times, to be honest. Yeah. And what that means is just letting go of your selfishness and being able to love each other right where you are. And so being honest with one another has created greater intimacy, not less intimacy. And I think sometimes that that's what we're afraid of is that if we're honest with one another, that it will create disconnection. But the truth is the more honest we are in our relationship, you know, the, the more opportunity for intimacy. And not only that, when we deal with things in the moment, instead of letting them sit, um, you know, then, then the relationship stays healthy. It's like doing good maintenance all along the way, instead of like, Oh, our transmission's about to blow up. We should do something <laughs> like, Oh, we need engine oil. We haven't been paying attention and it's about to blow. No, it's like the daily, like, Hey, let's just get honest today. Or when you said that it made me feel like this, is that what you meant? And just having honest dialogues without shaming and blaming has been really powerful and helped us grow in intimacy. And then same with parenting. I mean, I have little, little kids. So I recommend asking other parents who have older kids, but mine are two and five. But what's been beautiful about this process is when I have a moment or I just yell at them. I mean, who yells at a two-year-old? Apparently a lot of mothers, but um, I do. (laughs) But after I do it, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I need to collect myself. I need to remember that I'm the one who has to be responsible and mature here. So I go back and I apologize to my two-year-old and I let them know like, Hey, you know, it's not your fault that mommy got angry. I should have handled that a little better. And I'm so sorry, sweetie. And we just take a moment to get honest about what's happening in the moment, why it was frustrating. And I think it's created for all of us, um, at least safe space, you know? And I think that's what we need to cultivate more honesty and integrity is safe space. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also curious about, um, because we do have a lot of ministry leaders who listen to the podcast Mm -hmm. as well. Talk to me a little bit about how this has impacted your ministry. Yes. I think that it has helped us, you know, I think in a healthy congregation, the congregation pastors, the pastor, right? So we're pastors of our church and our congregation is discipling us at the same time we're discipling the congregation. And so we do that through honest dialogue. We do that through an understanding that it's a process, that we're not perfect, that ultimately Jesus is the God you serve, not us, that he's the one we want you to look to, not us. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the stuff. And so I think that's helped us be the kind of leaders who don't um, surrender to pride, at least as often as we could, if we weren't practicing some of these things and leaders who are very comfortable with our own brokenness, we know we don't have it all together and we know we're not perfect leaders and we're okay leading from that place, which hopefully is creating safe space for the people around us to be the same. 
Um, and that, that is really important to us. I think it also gives us a good focus on equity where we want to know who's in the room and also who's not in the room and why aren't they here and what can we do differently to make sure people feel included, that people feel like they belong, that people understand that we really want to build a healthy faith community that would be um, built because of our bonds to Christ. And maybe we wouldn't interface in any other areas of our life or any other sectors that we're currently touching, but in our faith community, we can all come together and walk together in unity. And I think that that has really helped us pastor in a way that's honest and open. Um, and we're willing to say, sorry, willing to be like, we botched it. We missed it. We want to do better. <laughs> and I hope that we're modeling that for our congregation as well. So they can practice that in their lives. <laughs> yeah, you, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. Um, a part of your story that I, I think is really powerful and it feels like it's a pretty big part of your story is that you've worked for, um, racial equality. You've worked against mass incar- incarceration mm-hmm. for many years. This has been something that you've been very devoted to. It's obviously um, an issue that is being talked about much more these days. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder, as you think about what's going on in the news today, what's kind of going on in the world, um, how do you feel like this rise of the truth teller about being authentic? What kind of healing or impact do you think that this approach could bring to that conversation? Well, I think it can bring a huge impact. You know, where I'm from in the South, we are raised to be truth tellers. You're just supposed to be honest. Like that's just the way of life. But often when we talk about truth telling in the South, what we really mean is truth telling about everybody else. And what we, <laughs> you know, and what we really need to do is be telling the truth about ourselves. And I think so much of what we're seeing happen in our world today is that people are telling all this, what they perceive as truth about others. So everybody's shouting from their camp and everybody's saying, I'm over here and I'm right. And you over there, you're wrong, or you're not the right color, or you're not the right, you're not from the right country, or you're not, you're a woman or this, that, or the other thing. And we see everybody fighting and sort of choosing sides and choosing camps and just sort of sitting there with their arms crossed, like, this is what it is. And in the center of all of that is the collateral damage of people. And that Mm. to me requires that we begin to get honest about ourselves. The fact that we don't have it all together, that we're not perfect, that we have flaws too. And when you're able to tell the truth about yourself, you begin to do something really wonderful, which is you start suspending judgment about others. Cause you're like, I have enough to work on. I don't really need to spend my time judging you or telling you how you're wrong and that you need to right. get in a different camp. And I think that's actually the way of Jesus is that we understand who we are and what we're living for, which is Christ. And we understand that every person is made in the image of God, that nobody is superior and nobody is inferior. We are all standing on level ground at the foot of the cross. And that knowledge and wisdom in this world today is life-changing. It begins to build bridges instead of burning them down. It begins to help people connect to one another. And it begins to help us have a level of compassion that requires us to do something about the issues in our world today. And so for me, that's understanding that God has a heart for justice, that it's not just like some trendy buzzword in the news right now, but that he's always been a God of justice, that he cares about people. And when people are hurting, it matters to God. And so for me, that's also a huge theme in my book is, is helping us understand that we're not disconnected, you know? And I think that's what the apostle Paul is talking about when he was saying, Hey, the eye doesn't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the ear doesn't say to the foot, I don't need you. And then it talks about how we give like God builds the body so that we can all have equal concern for one another. So equal concern for one another. So that means the parts that we think are the most, you know, um, disposable are actually the very parts that God's saying, you cannot live without this part. So have equal concern for one another. And so for me, I want to live a life like that. And I want to inspire other people to do the same. 
That's so great. And I think that um, I'm just thinking about all of the different ways that um, that being authentic just improves our ability to relate to the, to each other mm-hmm. um, and to be connected and to really see Jesus. I love what you said about, listen, when we are operating from this place, we do not have time to judge other people mm-hmm. because, um, because we've got our own stuff. And I think that the flip side of that is really comparison, right? right. So we've got a world of the perfectly curated, um, Instagram feed. And now it's sort of trendy not to be perfect, but perfectly imperfect. I don't yeah. know. It's getting <laughs> but, um, but for somebody who maybe deals with comparison, who mm-hmm. feels like they're not as far along in life or they, um, somebody else is more successful or any of those things that comparison does talk to me about how living from this place can help us release, uh, can release release us from comparison in our lives? I love this question so much. I mean, I definitely think that we're taught, we're taught that life is a pie and everybody needs to figure out a way to get a slice. And the problem with that imagery is that the pie runs out. That means there's what, like eight, maybe 10 slices tops. And so we've got to make sure that we hustle hard and, you know, we run over people or we just keep running and comparing ourselves to the person next to us because we're all after just one slice on that big pie. And the truth is we all have a pie. But God has given every single one of us a portion. Each one of us has a dream, has desires, has a calling that God is going to fulfill. And so I think when we are hunting for a slice instead of realizing, I have a pie that's baking, and I'm going to keep sewing into that. I'm going to marinate that thing. I'm going to stick it back in the oven. I'm going to just keep building the thing that God has called me to build. Um, Then it keeps us running and comparing with one another. I also think a lot of structures in our world are really set up to make us compete, you know, because it does feel like, well, there's the top Instagrammer and there's the top business people and there's this 100 list over here and that ten, top 10 thing over here. And so our world and even leadership structures can very often be set up where there's a few all-stars and then the rest of us. And so I think that it's really important to remember that God has a lane for each of us to run in and what he has for you cannot be taken from you and that nobody can do what you were put on this earth to do. Like for all of time, there will never be another person who has your DNA. There will never be another person who has your fingerprint. And so the knowledge of that uniqueness can help us celebrate others and also celebrate ourselves. And just remember, you're not pursuing what somebody else has. You know, God has something for you and your journey is unique and just for you. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. That's so good. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you a pop quiz on the final five because we didn't talk about it beforehand. (laughs) Um, Before we do that, um, uh, your book is called Rise of the Truth Teller. It is out on October 1st. Mm -hmm. People can pre-order now. And I also want to make sure that our listeners know that you have your own podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I co-host a podcast with my dear friend Tiffany Bloom and Tacona. Tacoma, Washington, and it's called Why Though? So we explore the smallest questions of life all the way up to the very serious questions of life. So you'll laugh with us and hopefully learn a lot of great truths while you journey with us. 25 minutes every Thursday. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Um, So now for the final five, five questions designed to further resource our listeners. Other than the Bible, what's one book that changed your life and why? (gasps) Safe People by Dr. Henry Cloud. And it is a book that's all about learning how to figure out why we keep choosing the people and relationships that we choose and how to become a safe person with healthy boundaries and how to identify other people that are also safe and healthy. 
Awesome. What is uh, one podcast you're listening to now and why? Oh my goodness. Besides mine, I also listen to yours. I love the Jen Hatmaker podcast. I think she's absolutely hilarious and wonderful. I think that's a great one too. Um, Tell me your favorite Bible verse and why. Oh my gosh. So I love Isaiah 58. Um, And in Isaiah 58, especially the lower portion, um, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to religious leaders about their fasting and all the religious works that they do. And then he breaks down like, hey, this is what true fasting really means. And he talks about, you know, stopping exploitation in the workplace and not not being um, unfair to victims and stop oppressing people. And he goes through all this different things that we can do in order to make our communities livable again. And so I really love that picture of the things that we can stop doing and start doing in order to cultivate healthy community. So that's my favorite Bible verse. Awesome. Awesome. What is the best advice you ever heard? (laughs) It's a process (laughs) because it just is. It's some of the best advice I ever got. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what is the advice that you would give to somebody who right now is maybe still struggling with that, um, idea of it's okay for me to build a life that I love. I don't have to feel guilty about it. I don't have to question it, that it is okay for me to build the life that I love. What advice would you give to them? I think I would give you the advice to continue to lean into love. And that sounds very general. So what I really mean is lean into the desires of your heart, lean into the thing that you feel called to do, lean into the fact that you feel like you want to pursue this dream. And what are the things that you can do that will enable you to keep doing it? Because you're always going to have the tape playing that says you shouldn't be doing this. Who are you to think you could have that? Who are you to start pursuing this, that, or the other thing? You should be serving more. You should be supporting more. You should be doing this, that, or the other thing and just shut it out and go, you know what? I'm going to lean into love, which says that it's okay for me to build a life I want to live. And so just lean into that true voice that's on the inside of you instead of listening to all the ones that have been on loop for probably years of your life. I love it. I love it. Hey, Ashley, would you mind saying a prayer over our listeners before we wrap up? I would love to. God, I thank you for every person who's underneath the sound of my voice, Lord. And I pray that today, Lord, you would help them to rise in truth, God, that they would begin to take their mask off in a new way. I pray that they would live in integrity and authenticity, Lord. I pray that they would chase the dream that's on the inside of them and that you would reveal their calling day after day, year after year, God, as they pursue you and as they pursue the things that are inside their heart. And I pray that you would surround them with people to encourage them, to believe in them, Lord, to speak life over them. And I pray that they would not waste a single moment giving into fear or shame or discouragement or disillusionment, God, but they would lean themselves wholly and wholeheartedly into love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It is an honor. I'm so glad I got to be with you guys. I'd like to thank my guest, Ashley Abercrombie, for joining me today. Just a reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find Ashley online at donsadler.com slash 036. If you'd like to hear more conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. This episode of the Your Purpose is Calling podcast is brought to you by Avada Coaching. We offer productivity tools, training, and coaching to help you overcome fear, doubt, and procrastination so you can accomplish your most important goals. 
To learn more, visit avadacoaching.com and don't forget to download your free daily planning tool, The Peak Page. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. Thanks for listening.